I'm like, this is a freaking steal, you know, and it's literally right in the city center. But I'm just saying, this is the type of property that if this was in the States, you would have had people like fighting over it, you know, like raising the cash, you know, way over asking price type stuff. And we came in below, you know, $100,000 below asking price. And we're going to see what the owners like say about it. But I'm actually pretty confident that the deal is going to go through. And these are just deals that you're not going to find in, in the state. So I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Welcome back, Contrarian Cashflow. Today, I've got one and only international star, Fletcher Wheaton. What is going on, Fletcher? What's up, John? How are we doing today? Good, man. Good. I'm just loving that background photo that you have going on too, man. And I know we were talking about it before, but I just love your drone footage that you shoot and like all these photos that you're always taking all around Cabo, you know, up on the the hills, looking at the ocean, the scenery. Uh, I'm definitely jealous of a lot of your, your, your daily views. So I'm excited to have this conversation. So for those folks that don't know, so Fletcher is an international real estate investor and developer and an entrepreneur, loving husband and father. So Fletcher, what are you, what are you working on right now? What's up, John? So yeah, I'm I'm based in Los Cabos, and um, you know we have really a, a personal portfolio. Me and my father and LLC set up here where we have uh, rental properties. My wife is in real estate sales. I'm also in real estate sales. Kind of focus on a lot of like commercial properties as well, pre-construction, and uh, I'm also helping a developer very shortly do a ground up like 311 condo unit development here in Cabo. So got, got quite a, a bit going on. It's a hot market, man, and uh, happy to jump into any topic you want to go into. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think as we were even discussing before, but I think, you know, so many of us think of alternatives and we get so blinded or short-sighted with looking just in our country, right? And I think, you know, there's an opportunity. We look at Canada, obviously a lot higher price point. Mexico, there's still opportunity. I know that's one thing you talk about in general, you know, looking to buy a beach house in California or coastal market in general, you know, the cost in the U.S. versus what you can actually get and attain, you know, in a place like Cabo or in Mexico in general. I just think, you know, I think that's something really interesting that I kind of want to just, you know, lend the audience to a little bit. So, well, dude, like, how'd you end up in Mexico, man? Like, I mean, you grew up in New Orleans, you know, now you're living in Mexico full time. I mean, that's, that's a pretty giant shift. So, I mean, I guess you're on the Gulf there, right? So, so you at least knew the Gulf of Mexico, but now you're on, now you're on the Pacific side. So, so man, how'd you get there? How are you in Mexico now? And what's going on with your life? Yeah. So uh, I've always been living abroad and that was really kind of, I, I studied Spanish in college. I studied abroad in Buenos Aires. The job that I was working for like the majority of my twenties allowed me to have time on time off. So I did a lot of uh, my, my free time in Latin America. And basically how I got here was, it was just a, a random weekend. My, my father, basically it was in 2015. He basically he had put three kids through college. He had all his stuff paid off. You know, we were officially off the tab and he's looking at his, you know, net worth. And he, he's kind of like, wow, I have, you know, everything's good. It's just, I'm kind of heavy in the stock market right now. How can I diversify? And he had some real estate in New Orleans where, where I'm originally from. 
And uh, when he was in undergraduate, he studied abroad in Mexico City. He has some clients as well in Mexico. So uh, he's always had an affinity for the country. And uh, he just uh, he basically told me, he said, look, I bought two places in Los Cabos. They're both pre-construction. I'm going down on Friday. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, uh, yeah, why not? A little beach, you know, uh, real estate scouting trip mixed with, uh, you know, beach and warm weather. And um, little did I know that would really change my life. You know, within two hours of landing, uh, the realtor came to show us like the community and the, the model home where he had bought. And that was Elisa Herrera. And now I am married to Elisa. We have a son here. We planted our roots, you know. So that's really kind of the short version of how I got into uh, real estate here in Mexico. No, that's crazy. I mean, like you said, I mean, you know, just from a weekend getaway to to now living, you know, not a world away, but, you know, obviously within another country. So that that's really cool. So, so, I mean, did you guys, did you and your wife just kind of like hit it off right then and there? Or like, how, how did that kind of transpire? And I mean, obviously, you know, she's in Mexico, you're in New Orleans. So how, how did that relationship kind of blossom and, and move, move forward? Yeah, well, actually, I mean, it was Cinco de Mayo weekend. So uh, I remember it was like, kind of like there was a connection and it was like, hey, what do you, you know, do you guys celebrate Cinco de Mayo here? And she kind of joked, she's like, well, since, you know, you guys celebrate, you know, the Americans celebrate, we, we celebrate because it brings it in dollars, right? Not necessarily like the Mexicans are celebrating, celebrating it the same way we as Americans know Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, that's basically how we kind of got together. And, you know, it was maybe a, a couple months after we met, we were at like a barbecue with her friends and one of her friends came up and was like, Hey, like, do you know who her brother is? And her brother, Jorge is actually a really big developer and architect in Mazatlan and he's done projects all over Mexico. So it's just like a real estate family, you know, and everything started clicking and, you know, I've really been here ever since. No, that, that, that's cool. I mean, I think stories like that are just so, you know, cause I mean, yeah, but if you hadn't gone on the weekend trip or whatever, you know, like if your dad hadn't bought those places at that point in time, I mean, it's just crazy how the the different paths take us throughout life. I think that's so cool. So, um, so you don't, your, your background wasn't necessarily real estate though. Right. And so now you've kind of gotten in that. So how did you transition from, you said primarily oil and gas was, was your background and, and what you'd been doing for the majority of your professional working life. So how did, what was that transition like actually getting into real estate? Yeah. So, uh, I went to college at Charleston in South Carolina and I was a walk-on soccer player, actually going for a scholarship. And that, that didn't happen. I just had the good fortune that my father was paying for my education. You know, I'm very fortunate in that regard. And he was paying for my rent. But I remember, you know, sitting there and paying rent to some guy that I didn't know in Charleston and being like, wow, this actually doesn't seem like a bad way to go. So when I graduated in 2008, me and my father scooped up a couple duplexes and triplex right by Tulane University in New Orleans. And you would, a lot of people are like, wow, that's a terrible time. And it's like, you got to realize Katrina came through in 2005. So everything was already like still kind of distressed. And um, we just slowly started adding to that portfolio, basically running to like either student housing or young professional in New Orleans. And, um, you know, even got into like a, a hotel syndication too after that. But that was really kind of, you know, I was doing a lot of the sweat equity in that, like painting, you know, doing all, renting out the places. I mean, anybody who bought 2008, 2009, 2010, you know, after the downturn did pretty well. So in that regard, we were kind of lucky. It just happened when, you know, that's when I graduated. And that's really how I got into to real estate was just like duplexes, triplexes. 
yeah, I mean, some call it lux, you know, you guys had to take the action and actually make the purchases. Right. So I guess kind of just going back to those pre-construction purchases that your dad made kind of that, you know, started this journey, how are those doing valuation wise compared to, cause I know you had mentioned, he even thought just in general, the market was frothy then, you know, be it stock market and real estate market, you know, so we're talking almost seven years ago now, you know, that people have been saying, oh man, you know, we're at the top. So how are those doing today valuation wise versus what he bought them at? One was bought, it was a three bedroom condo, bought at 160. I think that's probably close for like 250 right now. And that's, you know, like cash flowing. Um, and I say cash flowing, it's, uh, you know, the financing here is a little bit different. We can get into that, but uh, obvious appreciation there. And then the other house is like, it was almost scary how much, because you got to realize there's a big risk level when you're buying when like there's literally no structure, right? Um, and that's really why here it's like, no, you're a developer, right? You have to bet on the, the jockey, not necessarily the horse. And um, that has probably gone up closer to like 90%, 100% in value. And that's his personal residence. Like he's like, hey, this is fine. But like after that, after those two were like basically like hit, you know, and this is over like a two, three year period. We're like, wait, hold up. There's like something here. You know, before the call, we were talking, most people that buy property here, and there's a lot of people who are like, strictly just investment right now, you know, coming from, they'll come from San Francisco, Los Angeles, Houston, Dallas. And they're like, man, I'm looking at like a one bedroom for 600,000 here, like HOA fees or 500. I can't make a cash flow. And we're like, I'm like, yes, we have options like that. But um, when me and Elisa first started dating, uh, she lived in a three bedroom house and the owners basically like gave like a three month notice, like, Hey, we're coming back. We're going to be living there. You guys need to find a new place. She was kind of freaking out. And I was like, well, what's the issue? And she's like, you got to realize there's not that many good rental options for like, for me. Um, and I was like, wait, that doesn't really, you know, you could go, John, you go to Charlotte, you go to New Orleans, you know, you go anywhere and you'll have like, you could probably view eight properties in a day and at least like three of them. Right. So I was, we kind of did a little bit more due diligence on it. And it's true, you know, and since that time, there's been more construction here. So there's more stuff on the market, but you know, with the demand, it's really kind of the same thing. And most people go that Airbnb route because if they're owning it, they want to come visit at certain times of the year. So, you know, most people don't do long-term rentals here. So that's kind of like the, the niche that, that we're in with our investments. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, so I, you brought up the point about it's different buying property there. So I think you know, that's one thing that I just have always been curious about. So I grew up in Southern Arizona. So my parents had a place in Mexico, but I was obviously, you know, too young to really understand. And it was just a small little condo. So, you know, depending on how they finance that versus, you know, how just traditional financing options work. So, so yeah. So what is it like? So if, if you're an American from wherever you're looking at investing in a, in a different country, Mexico, obviously first thing comes to mind is short-term rental, right? You know, that's kind of what you think, right? Hey, it's a beach house can be rented to people by a week or a month or, you know, at the max. And now you're talking about, there's an opportunity to have long-term leases in there, right? You know, 12, even longer. So, so if you're looking at buying a place, what's it like? And, you know, how can you be an American breaking into to the Mexican market from a real estate perspective? Yeah. Uh, you know, ironically, I'm, I'm somebody like really wants like something on, like they want to walk out to the ocean right now, but strictly for our portfolio, we're not like, that's not a market that we are interested in. You know, the, for me, like the returns really, you're going to be obviously paying. There's only so much beachfront property, right? So we're like five, seven minute drives to the beach, things like that, you know? So we're not focusing on that particular market, but like everything right there for sure. is like long term, you know, or short term, you can do whatever you want, but you know, a lot of the people that, like I said, most owners, there's basically like three types. It's like, Hey, 
we want this as a retirement home, right? We're going to live there. You know, we don't want anybody else there or whatever. And you have like, hey, Airbnb type, like, hey, look, we uh, want to be there part of the year. Um, we might like use it as a retirement home in the future, but like we want the option of coming and visiting and whenever we want to. So we're going to go Airbnb route or they could be uh, like third option where it's like, look, I'm looking for a return. I'm looking around the United States right now and I can't really find anything that's making sense to me. Do you have something where we can do it? And like, I don't even want to stay there. I just want to like hold on to this for like 10 years and then possibly look at selling it then. And you have a whole, you know, it's most people down here are cash buyers. Financing is a little bit tricky and you've got pros and cons to that. But, you know, we can go into that or, or any other direction you want to there, John. Okay. So you're saying the majority of the time, you know, folks that coming in from American perspective are looking usually to buy cash more primarily than any type of loans or anything like that. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So so say you are, you know, looking for, so what, what do the price points even look like? You know, so, I mean, so you're talking about obviously not the super luxury cream of the crop beachfront properties, of course, just like anywhere, right. Those are always going to be in demand regardless of, of the economy. And depending on how high they may go, obviously, you know, maybe contingent on how strong the economy is at the time. But so what, you know, what's kind of a normal rental unit even look like? Are they condos? Are they, are they houses? What's the size and what's kind of the price point that people would be looking at if, if they're looking at trying to, you know, so say they've got 150, $200,000 to deploy into an investment, you know, what's, what's kind of, what can that buy them? Yeah. So really I would say like 200 to 250 K you can get like a nice two, three bedroom, like with ocean view and like a HOA with like a pool, you know, um, and a lot of people that's, that's really what's, what's hot right now. And I have people that are looking below that. And then that doesn't necessarily mean you have the ocean view. It might be, um, you know, like a lower end developer. And then there's, you know, once you get above like the 250 range, you know, yeah, the door is wide open, but you have like some, you know, you're starting to get into like some ridiculous places up to like 500. And generally, like you don't necessarily need to go higher than that, but there's a pretty hot market for like a two bedroom condo, 200 to $250,000 here that probably would rent. It depends, but like furnished long-term like I said, most people are going the Airbnb route, right? So that might be on Airbnb. It depends, but anywhere from like 150 to 200, depending. Um, and you got to keep in mind that Cabo has the most expensive hotel room in Mexico. It's almost double what is in the Riviera Maya. So it's just over $300 a night in the hotel room. And we're talking like five store, you know, five star resort style. That like two bedroom for around the like 200, 250. I'd say long-term rentals, it depends, but like furnished, I'd say seven, $800 a bedroom. You know, we have ones in tech, tech, you know, a lot of the properties that we look at, John, like the, right when I first do the math, I'll either under, underwrite it like five, $600 a bedroom and then kind of look, you know, where it is location and possibly go it up and I'll just keep it conservative just to give you kind of like estimates for, for rentals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so what, so, I mean, what's kind of the age of these properties? So you talked about a development, you know, so how mature is Cabo in general? You know, are the majority of these developments five years old, 10 years old, 20 years old, 30 years old? Like what, what's been kind of really this resurgence or this, this growth of, you know, more money funneling in there and, and more stuff being built? Hey, John, I'm sorry, man. It, it kind of broke up. Can you put that question over? Yeah, that was really weird. I heard it kind of gargle and stuff too. So what, what is kind of the age and the vintage of these type of properties? You talked about different developments and things, you know, are those, are these kind of within the last five or 10 years or how long has development been going on and, and what's kind of the age, you know, and the vintage of these properties that people would be looking at that you're talking about? Yeah. This is where people kind of have their mind blown. It's like, 
basically the properties that I'm talking about for that price range are all brand new. Okay. Cabo, it was like basically in the early nineties, a lot of, it'd be like if San Diego was just like half owned by the government and then they just were like, boom, we're opening this up to private investment. Okay. So then it starts kind of getting this curve up and then you have like 2008, you know, if you look at the places in the United States in 2008, a lot of more second home destinations like, uh, Florida, Vegas, California, that got hit the hardest. So Cabo had a pretty, you know, just like any other area like that, it went down a little bit more. And so that kind of slowed, slowed down. But now you're seeing to the point where a lot of people, a lot of developers, like that project I, I talked about in the beginning from other parts of Mexico are like, dude, we're, we got to get into Cabo because it's a hot market right now. And if you think about it, you know, it's, it's people in Cabo say this is like 10 years behind Tulum. And um, Cancun, or they'll look at like Cancun, which is literally as a state, it's like 51 years old now, I think. And they'll look over there and be like, hey, that's a mature market. Um, so there's more land than there is development right now. And that's good and bad. There's such a fast population growth right here that like infrastructure, roads, water is still an issue, right? So um, it's like, it depends on where the project is and stuff like that, but you have a lot of pre-construction going on. You know, so, um, and, and like I said, the older, like maybe uh, like 90s would be like the oldest, you know, stuff that you, you really see like houses here and you get into like San Jose, El Cabo and you have a little bit older, but there's a lot of brand construction going on right now. That's awesome. Because I know that's always a concern with folks that are looking to purchase just real estate in general is, you know, especially the prices that we're at now, right? I mean, if you're going to have to buy it at the top of the market and then put in another 30 or 40 grand, depending on what you're buying for mechanicals, roof, you know, different things, you know, that that starts to add up very quickly. So the fact that you can get in at a equitable price point and, you know, sooner rather than later, you know, with a with a newer vintage model. So one of the big issues that a lot of people think of just in general as well is, is the crime rate. So you know, how does Cabo compare to the rest of Mexico in regards to crime and, and how safe does it feel from a, from a tourist perspective or from a resident perspective living there? So I do think obviously Mexico has, has some issues. I will say that I think for the most part, the country as a whole is misportrayed. You know, for example, like my wife is from Mazavan, like that's that's where Chapo was was captured. You know, if you tell people like you're going to Mazavan, they're like, dude, you know, you're going in the war zone. And it's like, look, John, I come from New Orleans and New Orleans is like consistently like the lowest five when it comes to murder, crime, all sorts of things. Did I ever feel unsafe? I actually never really felt unsafe in my entire life growing up in New Orleans, but it is a very dangerous city. Cabo is very safe. You know, these, these beach markets tend to have uh, a pretty strong government presence, like military too, but Cabo is like an, an island too. So it's like harder to get stuff here, you know, like Amazon orders, stuff like that. You're going to be, it's, I joke that it's an island, you know, gas is pretty expensive here, you know, so it, there's really no like strategic location for anything to be happening here. But to be honest, you know, people who ask me that question haven't really been to Cabo. As soon as somebody's been to Cabo and has walked around, unless you're going, you know, out late at night and you're intoxicated and you're in an area you shouldn't be, you know, then really my biggest worry is basically like getting ripped off or getting gringo prices when I'm not paying attention. And to be honest, I'm like, so alert about that now that that doesn't really happen. So yes, I do think that Mexico is a place where you would need to 
like John, I don't have any flashy jewelry on. I'm not walking around like that. And when I do see people around Cabo like that, I'm like, you know, I just wouldn't do that anywhere, you know, um, but I certainly wouldn't recommend doing it here, but I've never felt unsafe in Cabo. And I think if you come down here and just walk around for, you know, and you're, you're staying here for a week, when you go back, you'll be like, wow, that's, you know, I, I was just with some guy from Seattle and he was like, dude, he's like, man, there's like no homeless people. You know, he's like, I'm so used to. So like people that come down from like Denver and Seattle are impressed. And I had to tell him, I was like, look, you're like also not knowing like the entire Cabo. You're like here in like Resort Central. Like, trust me, like there are issues here. But, um, you know, if you come down here, you'll you'll see that, you know, outside of going out and, and being in the wrong place, it's a pretty safe place to be. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, I mean, you know, as long as you're using common sense and, you know, doing things that you're supposed to do and not trying to actually seek out trouble, then, you know, hopefully it shouldn't be, shouldn't be too bad. So, so for folks out there that are, you know, that are even thinking about it, what's the best process to even start considering looking in Mexico? I mean, is there a Mexican Zillow or, you know, do they go to realtor.com or I don't know how to say realtor in, uh, in Spanish, but yeah, how, how, how would somebody even start if they were interested in, in potentially expanding their horizons outside of the U.S. from a real estate perspective? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it all comes down to connecting with with someone like myself. You know, MLS system, for example, the it, I mean, take a wild guess which has which place in all of Latin America has the you know the most sophisticated MLS. It's going to be right here in Los Cabos. And once again, it was really kind of started in the '90s by by a few guys. It's just been growing ever since. And that's the good news. You can really bet out. Like I talked to somebody yesterday, and they're like, "How do I know like this developer is not going to run off?" And I'm like, "Look." This guy's been on the MLS system doing projects for like 10 years now. If he was doing that, he would be off the MLS system. They're also in 2016, like you have to get like a background. It's not anything like difficult, but you have to get like, you know, make sure you don't have a criminal record, uh, do like some, some little testing, you know, to get your real estate license here. And in other parts of Mexico, they don't have an MLS system. And they don't have any licensing licensing requirements. So it's a little bit different. So there is no like Mexican Zillow, although you are seeing a lot of prop tech, you know, that's really starting in Mexico City. And that's the thing, too, is a lot of Americans don't realize how much money and, you know, intelligent people there are in Mexico. Like I know more Stanford MBAs and Harvard graduates here in Mexico than I do in Granted, that wasn't really like my crowd in the States, but I've come across more people like that here um, than I have in the States. So you have a lot of prop tech where you're starting to have this like national kind of system, but right now it's it's very scattered. Yeah. So I guess it just, just like anything, right. It's going to depend on the, the area and the maturity of the markets. And so obviously in Cabo, it's going to be a lot different than, than other parts of Mexico, but I guess the tourist hubs and maybe a Mexico city and some of the larger cities are going to have a little bit more maturity and scale behind them and, and processes versus just kind of, you know, if you're looking to buy something kind of in a smaller coastal market or something, it might be a little bit more time, or at least if you want to do it the right way, you know, it might be a little bit more time intensive trying to figure it out. We just yesterday, I, it was a 13 unit and in one commercial space, and uh, we put an offer in for $500,000, and that's $38,000 a door. And we estimate that we're going to need to put fifteen dollars in a door. And I say we, this is like a client I'm representing. Um, and she's in San Antonio right now. So I'm literally, she's going off what I'm telling her. And I'm like, this is a freaking steal. You know, and it's literally right in the city center. But I'm just saying, this is the type of property that if this was in the States, you would have had people like 
fighting over it, you know, like raising the cash, you know, way over asking price type stuff. And we came in below, you know, a hundred thousand dollars below asking price. And we're going to see what the owners like say about it, but I'm actually pretty confident that the deal is going to go through. And these are just deals that you're not going to find in, in the state. So um, there's opportunity for people that are just like you do have in the States to a certain extent. But for me right now, John, and you know this, it just seems like it's become way too cool to be in real estate right now. And by the time you get across a deal, like probably 10 other people have seen it or, you know, you got people coming in that don't necessarily know what they're doing or they have capital behind them. So they're getting these prices uh, raised and stuff. So it's, it's a different market for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well, another thing that I did want to talk about was, and we, I know we, I mentioned it at the beginning, but you know, I think one of the things you do that is so cool, and I think it's great, especially when you're living in a coastal market or you know, kind of more vacationy or resorty type area, is is the drone footage that that you shoot and stuff. And I mean, if you guys haven't checked it out, I highly recommend go check out his YouTube channel or you know some of his LinkedIn page and some of the different drone videos. So, so what kind of gave you the thought process to get into shooting these drone videos, and and how did you kind of teach yourself to to maneuver this thing and, you know, get these videos turning out so well. Yeah, no, it's, this is actually pretty funny. This really all coincided with the pandemic too, but I was writing articles, you know, like laboring, making sure I had like all the information good, you know, and then like getting somebody to proofread it, taking like literally uh, taking a week to two weeks to write an article. And uh, I put it out there and I was like cricket chirping. Actually, Shaw, uh, Asan, is a good friend of mine. He was like, man, why don't you, you know, you're in like paradise. Why don't you, turn those articles into videos. And this kind of happened, you know, when I was like, Hey, I kind of need to increase my digital presence. If we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, this is like March of last year. Right. And it's like, Hey, nobody really knows what's going on. It's like, Hey, it can't really hurt. I think he's got a good point. At worst case, you know, somebody might be like, Hey, that's a beautiful background, even if they don't like what I'm saying. And that's really how it happened. And John, I got to say, man, everybody's got to find what works for them. But right now, that is working so well for me that I've committed to two videos a week on YouTube. And like tomorrow I'm doing uh, one with, with Noah and he's the one that has the drone and stuff. You know, I don't have the capability to do that. Some of them, I just take like, you know, I got a GoPro and uh, like a little selfie stick and walk around the property and, and do it. But that has helped distinguish me from, from a lot of other people. And uh, it's just, I mean, people really, get to know, like, and trust you. Like some people I get on the phone with and they're like, Hey man, you know, like, it's nice to talk to you. Like, I feel like I already know you type stuff. So video is a great way to go in my opinion. And I, um, I'll continue to, to really push that. Absolutely. So as far as like the editing and stuff, you know, I'm just not very savvy with, with all those different technology things. I've gotten better at it, of course, but you know, it's just never been my forte. So is that something, do you manage the majority of the editing and, and, or do you outsource that? Or how do you actually go from shooting a video and then actually producing it and putting it on, you know, whatever social media platform is it's best suited for? Good question. So like I said, I can literally, I can send the footage to somebody like Noah and he'll go ahead and edit it or, you know, a lot of times, like I said, when we had those duplexes, I always like to get my hands dirty and be like, hey, this is how. And then once I know the process, I'll be able to know really what the, the value is that somebody can charge me. Right. So some of uh, some videos I edit myself and I'm not like it's not anything difficult. You know, I can do that in like an, an hour, two hours. Some people might say like, well, that's not a good use of your time. And that, that might be true. But it's really kind of 50 50 right now. And if anybody was like interested in you know, equipment or like editing software or somebody to use to edit videos, 
I'd be more than happy to help. And that's just like me letting you know how valuable that process of using video has been for me. That's awesome. Well, and I mean, and some of it has to be, you know, the pride of ownership. I mean, it's you, right? I mean, so it's it's presenting yourself, right? So you want it to look as good and credible as possible. And, you know, obviously you probably have a little bit of fun doing it too, right? I think that's kind of like the the challenge I run into when you talk about, you know, I talk to folks all the time and they're like, well, is that, you know, is that the best use of your time? Obviously four hour work week, like outsource all this stuff. And what's the value, you know, what is this a $10 task or a thousand dollar task? And you know, I'm kind of the same way. It's like, sometimes it's like, you know what? Yeah, this is a $10 task, but you know, it's something that I enjoy. Right. And I think that's kind of when we kind of start trying to distill things down, even from an investment perspective. Right. I mean, you know, if you've got an Airbnb in Cabo, you know, and you get to use it, you know, every six months or every three months or however often you can get down there and it's not making the same return and that it is, it's like a passive investment in the States, you know, are you getting that benefit from it? And I think that's one of the things so many people lose sight of in investing or just in business in general is like, you got to look at holistically and look, what's this adding to your life? You're like, dude, you got a, you got a, you got a vacation home in Cabo now. It's like, you know, the fact that it's making you any money is pretty awesome, right? If you're leveraging it and using it, right? And so I think just back to just kind of backing that into the, the, the video editing side too, though, is it's like, if you didn't enjoy it, you definitely would find a way to outsource it fully. But, you know, as I've kind of tinkered with some of the stuff, it, it is kind of fun to, you know, get better at, you know, the different things that you can add and the subtitles and stuff like that. You know, I mean, even just someone like myself, that's super rudimentary, you can get a pretty slick looking video pretty quickly. And I mean, I think that's the challenge with outsourcing everything is like, you know, it's still fun to kind of take care of your own stuff when you need to at times. Yeah, I agree. Really nothing's below me right now. You know what I mean? If, if it's something that I can can do and, you know, John, just cause I'm saying that video works for me, it could be it could be podcast, you know, it could be written article. Like I said, nobody was reading my articles, man, but I actually enjoy doing them. And I still do the articles because when I do the article, I get the thoughts down on paper and then it makes like the video, like what I'm speaking about come out like authentically. Cause I'm not having to think and kind of like BS on the spot. I've already done the research and whatnot. So really, as long as you're staying consistent and you have processes that, you know, you can stay consistent with, I think that's, that's a good thing. Oh, I love that. And, and to your point, I mean, just different mediums. I mean, who knows, right? You know, some people may be more attracted to the articles and maybe they've just been kind of sitting back waiting, you know, for, you know, for some reason. And now all of a sudden they're going to reach out for that. And I think the videos are attractive to, to a certain genre too, right? I mean, just kind of when people are trying to decide what social media channel works best for them, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok obviously is kind of up and coming, right? And I think it's just important just to constantly be testing and iterating. And, and to your point, you know, writing the articles, even though they may not be necessarily getting the viewership or the engagement that the video does necessarily, but it makes your videos better and stronger, right? And so it's kind of all working together to make sure that you're delivering the, the highest quality product to make sure that you're you're getting some some return in general. So no, man, this is, this is awesome. So well, let's wrap up with the contrarian three pack. So I know you've kind of gotten down the real estate side for the most part, but is there any investment in your head that stands out as a little bit more contrarian or off the beaten path than any others you've made? Yeah. Uh, that would be the, the drifter hotel in new Orleans, like a 20 room boutique hotel in new Orleans. It was like a really old crappy, uh, multifamily that we turned into. Uh, and I say, we, I was, I'm a limited partner. I was just there from the beginning, like as this process like went down and that's just a really cool, the Drifter Hotel in New Orleans really turned around. People, when we first got it, were like, you guys are crazy. That's like a terrible part of town. And then it was like, you know, pre-COVID you'd have, you know, they were doing 
pretty big business for these like you know Tulane University found out about it you know and it was just like or all the universities and it was like these massive pool parties where actually the bar was making more revenue than the rooms were so it's kind of like hostel almost like upscale like two-star hotel type uh and then just like the party atmosphere and that idea morphed so many times and i still have like the screenshots of it was it used to be the rose uh rose in motel and like the the two reviews on google were like one was like about you know bed bugs you know i got bed bugs staying here like don't ever come here and the other one was like my car got broken into but uh without a doubt the drifter hotel that's awesome. So, so what made you, so I know you said you're a limited partner in the deal, but so what made you excited about that one? Was it the location? Was it the potential? Was it the operator? What made you think that that one was a worthwhile endeavor to put your money into? It was, it was the operator, man. It was like 10 of us that were like grew up together. And, um, you know, obviously right now the, you know, bar and pool hotel is not the strongest asset class to be in, but we've weathered it. You know, there hasn't been many, many payouts uh, in the past 18 months, but still the, the property value rose significantly. And it was all about like friends coming together and pooling our, our, our money. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think that's just a common theme just in general that you're talking about, be it, you know, in, in deals that you're investing in passively or finding real estate. I mean, you talk about this woman that you're representing right now in San Antonio, right? I mean, it's all about those relationships and that level of trust that not even, you know, thousands of miles away, but states away, right? Countries away, right? I mean, you've got to really have trust and faith and and belief in the aptitude of the people that that are, you know, representing you and supporting you to be able to do that. And so I just think that's such a cool, cool tie-in and, you know, just any, any market in general right now that's, that's heavily dependent upon tourism and stuff we know is going to bounce back. Right. You know, it's just how quick, how quickly is that going to happen? And New Orleans is, New Orleans is such a cool city that, you know, I know it's just a matter of time before that starts coming back. So, so when you're not doing real estate, you're not doing business, you and your wife, what are you guys doing for fun in Cabo? What's there to do? And it's literally, I, I joke sometimes, John, that I'm like Michael Jackson here, like taking the umbrella out in the sunlight, you know, because it's just like some days, like I'm looking for a cloud for shade um, and I'm not complaining about it, but there's so much to do outdoors here. So mountain biking, you know, going to the pool with my son. I tried surfing. I'm not good at it, <laughs> but uh, really just outdoor activities, you know, paddleboard, anything around here. But I, I've really gotten into mountain biking. I used to call it mountain biking in New Orleans where there's absolutely zero elevation change. And I, I learned a lesson going up the mountain the first time here of what mountain biking really entails. But uh, I, I'd say as a family, just any sort of uh, activity out, outdoors here is, is phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and going back to your drone footage, I mean, I know I've seen you on quite a few boats too, right? Some fishing trips, some some charters and and some pictures and views of kind of like the background you have going on right now with some pretty cool coves and in different scenarios as well. So so what overall, what does offer you the most fulfillment in life? You know, um, I think it's, it's finding purpose, you know, and for me, I'll put it like this. Uh, I credit my father a lot for this is that, you know, he was successful as an attorney you know, actually ran the, the firm. So he had the ability to, you know, basically hire me or one of my sisters to go work for him. But he let us know early on that like there was, if we were going to go become an attorney, we were not going to work for him. You know, it was like this. And his logic was, you're not going to be happy if you just go down a path that's already given to you. And, you know, I know a lot of people that work for their family's business and they like 
crushing. You know, they're doing great. That I'm, I'm very happy. You know, I was kind of like bitter about that. Like, oh man, this would be like a free ride type stuff. So um, through that and then being encouraged to like, you know, travel was always a big thing for me. So I've kind of blended like my two passions of travel and real estate, you know, especially if you factor in like investments on that and then being able to provide for my family by doing something that I really enjoy is, uh, is really something that, that means a lot to me. No, I love that answer. And I mean, to your point, I mean, it's important to, to, ha- to seek something higher than just, you know, financial gains or material possessions and things like that. And, and, you know, I think like you were saying, I mean, it would have been nice to kind of go the easy path and, you know, kind of have a, a set future, but obviously, you know, you're kind of creating your own path now and, and probably leading him down some directions now with your, your real estate aptitude and stuff, right. You know, flipping the script a little bit. So well, Fletcher, this has been a lot of fun, learned a lot about investing in Mexico and what folks can do to, to make it happen themselves. So what's the best way that people can get in touch with you out there? Yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed it, John. You guys can really, it's either LinkedIn, Fletcher Wheaton, YouTube, Fletcher Wheaton, or you can go to my website, kabokey.com. That's C-A-B-O-K-E-Y.com. And uh, all three of those work. Yeah. Well, and hit us up too. Next time you're going down there, let me know so I can head down too. So I know I need, I need to make a trip down there. So, uh, you know, you keep posting all those pics of, of flights, nonstop flights from all over the places in the U.S. So one of these days, I know I've been uh, a little slow on it, but we'll, we'll get there and we'll, we'll kick it in, in yeah, person man, yeah. soon enough. Whenever you come down, man, I'll, I'll make sure uh, we, we go out fishing, John, for sure. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate it, man. Well, until next time, live fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.